Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You coming to bed, hon? Yep. Honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is John Scott, the co-host of Dropping the Gloves. This summer, we're releasing one goal, a five-part series chronicling the Chicago Blackhawks' 2010 Stanley Cup run. I called up some friends and we talked through every single round. Guys like Soupy, Brian Campbell. I just look at our team and the guys and how badly they wanted it and the leadership. There was just never a let up in that locker Dave Boland, old Bixie boy, Brian Bickle, and Patrick Kane. There was like three different celebrations. I mean, the one I had, then one where it was like we thought it was in the net, and then another one where there was like actual confirmation. Coach Q took us onto the bench and into the locker room. Fun to watch your team play their two best games of the year most important time and that's what made our team special and jesse rogers reminded us what it was like to cover one of the greatest teams of all time the series begins this summer only on blue wire this is the cubs related podcast presented by cubsinsider.com my name is Corey. i am joined as always by brendan and we are recording this on thursday july 23rd which means for four teams in major league baseball it is opening day as brendan and i record this and that also means that tomorrow friday the 24th the chicago 
Cubs play a regular season baseball game at Wrigley Field against the Milwaukee Brewers. And I would also like to mention that Brendan and I and the Cubs Related Podcast have joined the Blue Wire Network. And you may be familiar with the name because that is also where you can find Ian Happ's podcast, The Compound. We are very happy to be joining the Blue Wire Network, and you will be hearing fewer ads as a result of that decision. And we are looking forward to going forward with Blue Wire here as our podcast host. We are just uh, around, as we sit and record this, 24 hours away from Pat Hughes uttering the phrase, Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air for real for the first time in 2020. It has been a very strange journey to get here. It may be a very strange journey as we continue to go forward, and the situation that has brought us here is obviously not a good one, but We are going to enjoy the Chicago Cubs playing regular season baseball again, and as David Ross has stated, there is a trophy being handed out, and Brendan and I would like the Cubs to have it. So, as part of our preview episode, this is the official preview episode, it should go out uh, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, whenever you guys are listening to this, hopefully before the game against the Brewers, Uh, we are going to start. We have about a 20-minute conversation with friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastian. We are very lucky to have his time today. We have mentioned him a million times in his coverage for MLB.com and Cubs.com. Really insightful conversation, obviously, with fans not being able to be at the ballpark for summer camp, spring training 2.0. Really good to hear from one of the uh, people covering the team who was at the ballpark and who I think can provide uh, a lot more insight than really anybody else. Uh, So it was really great to talk with Jordan. We talk about a a range of different topics in those 20 minutes. So we will start today's podcast with this, and then Brendan and I will meet you on the other side to give some predictions and uh, just get get ourselves and you guys ready for the 2020 regular season. So without further ado, here is MLB and Cubs.com's Jordan Bastian. Okay, so now we are joined by MLB and Cubs.com beat reporter Jordan Bastian. Jordan, it is a pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. And if I may say so myself, if the summer camp MVP was not Wilson Contreras, I think it was (laughs) you with all of your content and coverage on social media. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's easy to uh, win that prestigious award when I'm not using an iPhone to take photos from the press box. So uh, I think the, I think the, uh, you know, uh, MV, the real MVP is my Nikon camera. I think that's what's really helped out here. Well, either way, it is appreciated by the fans, uh, especially in those early summer camp uh, exhibition games that we were not necessarily able to see anywhere else. Uh, you were the real hero there. But want to jump into talking about the Cubs. We're on the you know the night before, as we record this on Thursday, the Cubs and Brewers open their season at Wrigley Field on Friday night. And one of the first things I wanted to ask you is is related to something that is coming across the newswire earlier today. Uh, we, we have a little bit of a change to this season at the last minute here, uh, as opening day is supposed to start for a couple other teams here on Thursday night. We're getting expanded playoffs. So just wanted to kind of get your gut reaction to 
obviously, I, I think the sentiment was that this 60-game season benefited the Cubs, just this roster that they have, condensing it down, and, and their ability to perform in a shorter sprint. Uh, I, I think the initial read with that in expanded playoffs also benefits them, and, you know, kind of different than how a team like the Yankees or Dodgers would, you know, perceive more teams being in there. But from covering this team and what you know about this team, what's your gut reaction to now kind of the final layout for how this uh, unique season is going to go? Well, I I think on one hand, I think I agree with what I've heard some people say, which is if there were ever a time to experiment, I mean, this is it. You've already got such a unique season. Um, They've added the DH. I'm not a huge fan of the extra inning rule as as maybe a permanent addition, but I don't really mind it in this setup, especially with you know, the safety precautions and, and trying to minimize risk. So, hey, you know, let's see how it plays out. Talking to Nico Horner, he said he actually liked it in the minor leagues, but he had a good quote. He said, maybe there's more urgency to end the game when you're in Mobile uh, than when you're in a major league stadium. So, uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how some of these things play out. Um, I, I, we actually asked Theo Epstein and David Ross about this conceptually today before we kind of heard that, um, this was, you know, maybe going to happen. And Ross had an interesting take on it. He said he had mixed feelings, said he wasn't really sure if he liked the idea of expanded playoffs because he kind of felt that the teams that stayed uh, the most ready during the quarantine period, the teams that prepared the best, and the teams that get through what is going to be a, just a season filled with tons of adversity – he feels those teams that finish it on top should really be rewarded. And he said he didn't really like the idea of watering down, quote-unquote, uh, the playoff field. But when we asked Theo Epstein a um, similar question, he kind of said, hey, you know, we're ready for whatever they throw our way. Our teams, you know, they think their team's built for a 60-game sprint, and they think along the same lines they're kind of built for uh, an expanded playoff situation. You know, we'll see. I think, as you guys know, um, a lot depends on the pitching. That's where, to me, the bulk of the question marks are. And when you're talking about any kind of playoff format, whether it's traditional, whether it's expanded, you're only going as far as your pitching takes you. And I think that there's just a lot of things that the Cubs have to answer on that front really quickly this year. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on a point that you brought up, which was staying ready through this quarantine. Obviously, you were with the team in Arizona and have seen this team for a little while now. Did did anything stand out to you when you were watching them? I know, obviously, you guys were covering this from a bit of a distance at Wrigley Field, but did you get the perception that this team stayed ready, like Ross said? Did did guys look any different than they did back in March out in Mesa? Or, Or what was kind of the impression from being there of guys coming back and, and looking at their readiness, like Ross said. Yeah, I think it varies. Um, you know, you looked at Kyle Hendricks, and this guy came in looking like he was ready to throw an 81-pitch Maddox, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, and then you looked at John Lester, and, and he's, like, struggling to go two innings right when he showed up because he took a much more veteran approach, you know? And then you see Wilson Contreras just hitting homers all over the place, Uh, and then, you know, you see kind of mixed results from some other guys. So I think it really varied 
and also I'm operating in a vacuum where I'm only looking at the Cubs, and I'm only looking at the Cubs versus the Cubs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to make of that either. You know, it's like, wow, you know, these, these, these hitters really are ahead of the pitchers. It's like, wait, is that bad news for the <laughs> right. pitchers? Like, these are the Cubs pitchers. Um, yeah. You know, so it was hard to really know. You know, and then the moment we said that, I think there was the one inter-squad game after we're all writing and talking about how great the hitters look, the pitchers go out and struck out 26 combined in an intra-squad game. You know, so I think it was really hard to get a, get a read. And, you know, I feel for guys like Ross and Theo and the coaching staff, honestly, when it came to some of these uh, final roster decisions, because you only had three exhibitions against a rival team to evaluate and get some last looks because the bulk of your looks were against your own team. And I think that's really hard. Um, that's a really hard setting to get an accurate read. and It's going to make these first couple of weeks super important. So when I say I'm operating in a vacuum, I think what I mean is like, I didn't sit there and watch the Yankees to see if they looked more ready than the Cubs did. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw what the Cubs were doing and I think there were a few really intriguing guys. I, I really liked, and I'm sure you're going to ask about them. Like guys like Dwayne Underwood and, and James Norwood and, some of the stuff we saw from those guys, uh, I think the last three months you really saw in this three-week summer camp maybe some work-paying dividends uh, here and help them kind of secure their spot in the team. And then a guy like Jason Kipnis, who I thought he looked all right um, during the first spring training, but he looked so much better uh, this time around. And I think when, when I'm saying that, I mean like mobility-wise. He looked way more rangy at second base. Um, I saw a lot more quickness in his hands with his swing, which I was very familiar with seeing from when I watched him in Cleveland. And so there were guys individually that I think you saw things in summer camp that you were like, okay, I can see maybe where the last three months they did things um, to pick up off w- what they were working on in spring training. So I think it's kind of varies case to case there in, in that question. Jordan, how did a lot of the players train during this layoff, during this three-month layoff, I know Craig Kimbrough was talking about using a rap soto and kind of refining his changeup, which really over the last several years he just never used. So that was right. kind of that that piqued my interest. But you just talked about Dwayne Underwood and you talked about James Norwood, but Underwood in particular, especially against the Twins, he kind of caught my attention because he was using the changeup fastball combination, but. Really, what caught my attention was that changeup. And in 2019, compared to 2018, that changeup was dropping two times more last year than 2018. So I'm trying to, like, in my mind, understand how these guys use this three months from March to July. How did they work on things? Was it almost advantageous for a select few pitchers? Can you just speak on some of the individual routines that some of these guys were were employing? Yeah, I'm sure it was advantageous in some of that regard. And, you know, again, the the one issue I have for really answering this question in detail is I'm not in the clubhouse right now. Um, I'm not able to walk up to these guys and have these these chats that I would normally be having after I see Underwood do some of that against the Twins. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Um, So that's going to – COVID-19 has kind of hurt some of the reporting on that end. Um, But what I can say – is kind of to your point here is you saw it kind of again varied based on what the resources were some of these guys stayed in arizona for a while and they have the resources of the facilities there 
um, to a certain extent. You know, there's the, the lab out there. You had some guys who were sent equipment by the Cubs, you know, Rapsodo stuff. We, we heard Quintana say that he was working with Rapsodo and was really, you know, seeing some gains there before he um, had an unfortunate accident with a wine glass. Uh, you know, and, you know, so some of these guys had to be sent equipment. Some guys had more equipment already readily available, you know, maybe left over from what they used in the off season. You know, I, a guy like Tyler Chatwood, you know, he's back home in California working out at Redlands where he worked out in the off season. Anyway, um, a lot of these guys, you know, if you talk to minor leaguers, the player development department was sending equipment to a lot of these minor leaguers too, just cause they, they had to make do with whatever they had just at their house or, or in, you know, at their local field um, and things like that. A guy like Jason Kipnis, I mean, he helped build a, a cage for his old high school in the Chicago suburbs. So he was able to train there, you know, because, hey, he helped build that facility, um, and it's right here sort of in his backyard. So it kind of depended. They, they had an app that they built internally as a player development department um, where guys could submit video, look at video, communicate more directly with player development staff or with coaching coaches and things like that. I mean, uh, Anthony Iaposi, the hitting coach, even talked about how much video Wilson Contreras was sending him, and he finally was, just was kind of like, yeah, like, I don't even need to critique this. Just keep doing what you're doing. You look fine. Um, and he obviously has looked fine in summer camp. So, you know, I'm looking forward to as we get deeper into the season and we're able to have more of these one-on-one chats, hopefully, um, and we can g- kind of glean a little more um, insight into what some of this looked like um, for some of these guys because that's an area that, you know, I'm really, you know, as you know from reading my stuff, like that's an area I'm pretty – interested in too the the process that a lot of these guys went through yes so jordan i want to talk a little bit about and 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 maybe kind of along those lines i'm not sure how clear of an answer you may have for this but you were talking about some of those bullpen guys like james norwood like Dwayne underwood jr one thing that i think when you look at these scrimmages and exhibitions is obviously guys are coming in just to get their work in they're they're not you know we're seeing craig kimberl early in games like we're we're not necessarily seeing guys deployed in their exact roles based on the score or anything like that do you have a sense and and you mentioned earlier kind of the pitching being probably the the biggest variable for this team do you have a sense of let's say kyle hendricks on friday goes six innings the Cubs have a 2-1 3-1 lead do you have a sense of who that maybe smaller group in the bullpen is that David Ross and Tommy Hadovy are going to look at to hold a lead or or is that something that we're just going to have to see how it plays out because just from watching these scrimmages it's not abundantly clear who may or may not be in that kind of top tier group that they're they're really trusting uh do you have a sense of who you know maybe those i don't know if it's three four or five guys might be yeah i i think i think you're gonna see an initial setup similar to how they ended last year i think rowan wick has kind of earned a setup type role um they bring in a guy like jeremy jeffers who's a couple years removed from being pretty dominant um i think you're gonna see him utilized as a setup man and then kyle ryan you know while he isn't going to strike out a lot of guys, he's going to get you that ground ball that you need. So I think you're going to see him deployed, you know, in situations where ground balls are needed. And those three guys really jump out as maybe the quote-unquote main setup guys. But I think, as you know, like one thing that's been really missing from this bullpen in recent years is just that overpowering arm. And I think that's where 
there's an opportunity for a guy like Norwood or Underwood or even Dylan Maples here, if he can hone in on his command, um, to kind of emerge and grab some more high leverage innings. Um, and I think especially that's the case in a shortened season where you don't have the luxury of, you know, a normal year if a reliever has a couple bad outings and the stats are bloated, uh, you're like, all right, well, we got – five more months to go, um, you know, to see these, these numbers even out. I think Ross and, and Tommy Hadovy, um, the bullpen coach, Chris Young, kind of have a challenge here of kind of really having to, to read what they're seeing early and, and make some decisions earlier than you normally would. There's not as much time to just let things settle in and, and, and figure it out sort of naturally. They're going to have to figure these things out right away. And so one thing I think you're going to see, and I thought um, it was an interesting point brought by Theo Epstein today when we were talking about Maples, is he said, you know, a guy like that specifically, you know, he throws that elite slider that's one of the best sliders in the game. And really when you look at the bullpen as a whole, there's not a lot of slider guys in there. So they're going to look for matchups. Like, hey, you know, maybe Maples isn't the main setup guy, but if this situation here – has a pocket of the lineup of hitters who are susceptible to sliders, he's the guy that makes the most sense. So you go with him there. Hey, if, if, there's, a, if there's a hitter coming up who really thrives on hitting top-of-the-zone stuff, they're going to maybe avoid a guy, uh, maybe a Underwood, who's going to throw that heater up and break her down. You know, they're going to try and find those matchups and, and see which pitchers match up best with swing paths and – and platoons and things like that, and they're going to have to really trust that type of information early on and try and figure out which of these guys fit. And then the other point, which you've seen this summer camp, is a lot of these guys have been built up for multi-inning work, Underwood, Norwood. um, We saw Sadler, uh, Rex Brothers, Dan Winkler. A lot of these guys were built up for multi-innings. So in the event of something like you're saying, you know, maybe Hendricks doesn't get through six. Maybe he goes four and they got to get him out of there. Or John Lester's not quite ready. You've got these guys who are maybe stretched out a little more to be bridge arms and kind of bridge that gap to um, some of the later inning guys that we're talking about. Jordan, I was a little surprised when Ryan Tapera was left off the 30-man roster. And speaking to yeah. your point with Dylan Mabel's, I mean, we we all see the stuff with Maples. The slider is just completely off the charts in terms of stuff. Plus, I mean, Maples seems like a super nice dude. Teammates like him. But it still was a little surprising that Tapera was left off in favor of Maples only because he's had the command issues that have plagued him for the last several years. Is there, in your mind, a particular reason why Tapera was left off? Is it a ramp-up issue? Or is it truly that the front office just values Maple's stuff and maybe a you know a, a short inning uh, of work against guys who struggle against sliders? Yeah, uh, there was some actually interesting layers to this one today when we talked to Theo and we talked to Ross. So Tapera, you know, we had a few instances throughout summer camp where guys had delays in testing or you know groups of players didn't attend a workout as they were waiting for results of testing and you know they never gave us those names but one thing that Theo said today was Tapera had a handful of instances in summer camp where there were procedural delays so I think we can figure that out there Um, and so that cost him a sim game here a planned inning there 
pushed the bullpen session back there, and they really felt that he looked good against the White Sox in his most recent outing, but they weren't comfortable with maybe where he was, and they feel he needs like he needs a little more time, and they can buy that because he has an option. They can get him to South Bend, and he can continue to build back up and build that arm strength. I mean, Theo, before we even asked, we didn't even mention Tapera, and Theo brought that up, just like, hey, don't read more into the Tapera send-down um, yep. than this. Now, on, uh, the other layer to that is he said that Rossi fought to include Dylan Maples on the roster, which I find fascinating as well. Um, and when we asked Ross about Maples' inclusion, he really felt that it could be a confidence boost. You know, this guy makes the opening day roster. You, you get that natural high of making the team, being in the big league bullpen, and this is a guy that they've been waiting to take that next step, lock in, and, and be the guy they think he can be, potential-wise, ceiling-wise. So maybe getting that confidence from the manager of, I want you in my bullpen, maybe that helps that development aspect, that, that mental side of, you know, I trust you and you're on my team. Um, and then the other guy that was added, Rex Brothers, was a guy that Theo Epstein said the, the staff as a whole really fought for to have on the team. So those three things together, Ross wanting Maples, the staff as a group wanting Rex Brothers, and Tapera maybe not being built up to where they were comfortable with, all factored into those last bullpen decisions. All right, so Jordan, we're about at our time here. I have, I have one more for you that's you know maybe a little broader, I guess, um, but if I were able to look into the future and, and only tell you one thing about how this season went, just one player on the Cubs that succeeded in the role that the Cubs have envisioned for him or failed in that role, you know, maybe aside from the obvious guys, is there anybody on this team that if I told you, hey, this guy had an amazing season, you would think that the overall season for the Cubs went well. Is there one player, and I guess you could just call them the X factor, if you will, but is there one player that you'd look at and go, if this guy does what the Cubs want him to do, they're going to be successful this season? Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's it's hard to pick one guy on the pitching staff because there's a, I think there's there's uh, 16 X factors on the pitching staff right mm-hmm. now. Um, <laughs> So I think I'll go with, I think Nico Horner is the guy I'm going to go with because I, I really liked what Kipnis said the other day that, um, you know, while Kipnis got that job and maybe on the surface you look at him as being the versus righty um, guy, you know, Ross has really emphasized playing the hot hand. And if Nico Horner gets hot, you know, Kipnis said, hey, if you're in the lineup, take that job and run with it because they're they're really trying to, you know, put the, the end goal before – the individual goal, which I know every team says that, but I think this team kind of senses like, hey, they might be at the end of this, the end of the run for this core together, and they really need to capitalize on a season like this one. Um, so Nico Horner, if he can emerge and and be that second baseman, um, the guy that kind of fills the void left by Ben Zobrist's departure, really ticks up the contactability of the lineup. Um, shores up the bottom half where you're not just relying on such a top-heavy offense. Yeah, I think that's a guy that really could change the shape of, of the offensive production. 
All right. Well, Jordan, as always, we appreciate the time. Jordan, you can find on MLB.com, Cubs.com. He is at ML Bastion on Twitter. And if you guys listen to this podcast, we have told you many, many times to be following Jordan and his coverage. Uh, best of luck covering this season, Jordan. We're, we're looking forward to following along. And thank you again. All right. Anytime. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment called The Ice is Right. Floyd talks about all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prices. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, so that was MLB and Cubs.com's Jordan Bastion. Again, you can find him on Twitter at MLBastion. Great stuff. Uh, Really glad we were able to talk to him and get some insights into some of that stuff. Certainly some of that, uh, you know, not immediately apparent from, you know, just watching the scrimmages on on Marquee or or reading some of the stuff on Twitter. So that was a a really cool conversation. Uh, But Brendan... We're it's it's opening day. There there's Chicago Cubs baseball. How are we feeling over there? Corey, I can't believe we've made it to this point. Uh it's been almost three hundred days since the Cubs played a meaningful baseball game. So I am more than ready. I'm feeling pretty good. And we'll talk about all the different breakdowns, especially that bullpen, but I'm I'm feeling good. It's always that preseason, pre-opening day optimism that I think everyone has. But hearing David Ross talk about the shortened season, seeing the new playoff environment with 16 teams, I feel good about at least having something excited to watch. Yeah, as we talked about with with Jordan kind of in the 11th hour here, getting the expanded playoffs, which I I think is, you know, certainly better news uh, for a team like the Cubs, certainly bad news if you're a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers who... You know, uh, obviously things change in a 60-game season, but I, I think the the top top tier teams uh, not going to be happy about more teams sneaking into the playoffs. Uh, you, you can let your mind wander, but there are plenty of teams, even just looking at the National League, that if you caught them in a short series, their pitching could be the end of you regardless of how good your 60-game season or regardless of how well-built you are for a 162-game season. So yeah. uh, I think that it, it it benefits the Cubs. I think that, uh, you know, obviously the Cubs would have to have a, a majorly disappointing season, uh, I think, to say the least, uh, <laughs> even in your lowest expectations to not make the playoffs under this format. Um, but yeah, we are here. The Cubs and Brewers beginning a three-game set at Wrigley Field on Friday night. Uh, as a reminder, there will be no Friday day games, which is certainly going to be weird, uh, but there are no fans anyway, so this whole thing is weird. So we are going to look at how we feel about this 60-game season. We'll talk about the offense. We will talk about the pitching. We'll offer up uh, you know, some some predictions, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. But it's, yeah, it's time to get ready for baseball. And we did get the, let's start here, Brendan. We did get the Cubs uh, 30-man roster. Those were due on Thursday. And obviously there were some 
questions about exactly how kind of that back end of the 30-man roster was going to be filled out. Uh, You know, maybe some surprises, I I think. I don't know how surprising they are, uh, but some things of note, uh, Daniel Descalso placed on the 45-day injured list, so he is off the 40-man roster, but he stays in the organization, so he is uh, not on this uh, 30-man roster uh, as he's on the injured list. Uh, you know, he he looked to hit a foul ball in the uh, exhibition against the Twins on Wednesday night and then kind of hobbled. It looked like he landed wrong or whatever. Uh, obviously, he's had, you know, foot-ankle problems before. Uh, but, you know, for as much as I was freaking out a couple days ago about his <laughs> uh, hypothetical playing time or role, at least for now, that is not on the table. So that is one thing that, uh, you know, certainly was at least a question mark. Obviously, Jose Quintana, you saw him throwing. If you looked at uh, some of the footage on Twitter today, on Thursday, he is working his way back, but not really sure when he's going to be able to actually be a factor for this Cubs team. Uh, So he's, of course, not a part of this 30-man group. Uh, And then just looking at the bullpen, I'm going to read all of the relievers for you, as I think that's kind of where the surprise may or may not have been. The only other thing I would note, uh, Josh Fegley does make the roster as the third catcher, and Ian Miller, I know, is someone that we were wondering if he may have a role not on this 30-man roster. So perhaps he joins at a later date, but not in this initial group. So the relief core will be as follows. Craig Kimbrell, Jeremy Jeffress, Kyle Ryan, Rowan Wick, Dan Winkler, Dylan Maples, Brad Week, Casey Sadler, Dwayne Underwood Jr., Rex Brothers, and James Norwood. So I know there were many, many names out there that we've talked about this entire offseason and the regular spring training and summer camp, uh, but that is the group that makes the initial cut, as we talked about with Jordan Bastian uh, just a few moments ago. If you uh, were listening to that part of this podcast, we talked about someone like Ryan Tapera and you know how some of this may change and was based on when guys showed up to camp and, and things like that. So that is the group. So Brendan, looking at uh, what we have here, obviously you know we knew that the rotation uh, for a while now was going to be you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, Tyler Chatwood, and Alec Mills, uh, although I guess not necessarily in that order to start. Uh, you know, the outfield group, the infield group, pretty much I think what we were looking at. Any Anything jump out to you about this uh, initial roster, especially in light of, you know, some of the things that Jordan may have offered up, especially on someone like Dylan Maples? Well, I think that's what it is. I think Dylan Maples making a team is, for, for me, my biggest surprise. Rex Brothers right behind Maples would be my second surprise. But I was hoping that we would see Rex Brothers just because he was throwing like 97, 98 in spring training and also in summer camp. Rex Brothers, too, was actually with the Cubs a few years ago, just did not make the team. So this time around, he makes a team. Kind of a cool story. But the bullpen, Corey, I'm excited to see. It's 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 a weird mix for me because there is a side of me that understands that the bullpen is volatile. Like I, I fully recognize this bullpen has a huge range of expectations, and some of the range of expectations are in the negative direction. There, there is a, a realistic scenario where the bullpen does not perform the way we need it to perform. But when I look at guys like Dwayne Underwood Jr. and James Norwood and Rex Brothers, all three of those guys throw heat 
And they have secondary offerings that are, in in my eyes, plus. And some of the StatCast data also says they're plus. Like Dwayne Underwood Jr. in particular, this changeup he's been throwing since last year, it drops off the table two times more than his changeup did in 2018 and in years past. So he's developed this new pitch that I want to see in game action. And we saw that, Corey, against the Twins, how good it looked. He was throwing 96, 97, throwing in an 89, 90-mile-per-hour change to complement that. Plays off together very nicely. But overall, the position player side, for, for me, no surprises. I was maybe guessing we could see Ian Miller and maybe... The Cubs, instead of carrying 16 pitchers, would carry 15 just to get Miller on the roster. But at some point, we're going to see Miller on this team, whether it's in a week or two weeks. But most importantly, down the stretch, once they need like someone off the bench to pinch run, there's no doubt in my mind that Ian Miller will be with the team at some point. Yeah, so obviously this is going to be a rolling situation. They're going to have to try some things out, and we'll we'll see how the, the kind of roster movement looks going forward but I think in general this is the group that you would have expected and and I and I do think that there's some some interesting names in in this bullpen and like Jordan Bastion was mentioning you know really looking at some of these guys to maybe step up and be that kind of heavier higher velocity guy that they can look to bring on but I think as we we kind of talked about with Jordan, if we just want to start with the relievers here, since we're kind of on that, I, I think the the success or or failure of this bullpen is going to rely on some of those top guys. I think that if Craig Kimbrell can be reliable, kind of closer to what Brendan is hoping for, rather than uh, what I'm <laughs> fearful of. Uh, someone like Jeremy Jeffress, Rowan Wick, Kyle Ryan, and then any of those other guys being able to step up into that role, I I think that's really what a large portion of this team's success is is going to hinge on, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. And, And the reason that I asked that question to Jordan about you know, who are the Cubs looking at? Who's that small group that you're going to ask to protect a two-to-one lead is, again, I I think that if you could come up with one scenario, one area where the Cubs hot, you know, variants of of their success or their record overall in this season, I think that's where it's going to be. And we've seen the bullpen. I mean, I I don't think I have to remind everyone how the 2019 season began uh, and just, you know, how easily a bad bullpen, even just a couple arms, can really throw things off and it can really change your perspective on how good or bad a team is uh, because you may, you know, we've seen the Cubs do this. You pile up some losses and it makes people question the overall team when really if they had a couple relievers that could just do their job, their record probably looks a lot different, right? Uh, the 2019 season starts completely differently if uh, Brad Brock and Carl Edwards Jr., for example, are Oof, able yeah, to succeed in the roles that they initially started in, right? So I think in a 60-game for season, sure. especially when you may have some of the starters going shorter innings to at least start this 60-game schedule, that which sounds like the Cubs will be doing based on what Jordan was yeah. implying there with Norwood being stretched out. So that's, that's something I Yeah, and, and and Dwayne Underwood is a guy we've seen, uh, you know, be able to go multiple innings before. So yeah, I, I think that, that the, the, this bullpen's ability to shut down leads, and I mean, look, this is always true for bullpens, but I think especially for this team, 
you're just looking at a group that going in, you're not really sure how they're going to fare with it. There's there's certainly other teams. I always bring up the Yankees just because I think they have the the most uh, recognizable names in the back end of their bullpen. Just a lot of guys that you would recognize as as really top tier relievers. That's not what the Cubs have. You're 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 hoping that Jeremy Jeffress can go back to the form that we saw him really succeed in with the Milwaukee Brewers. You're hoping that Craig Kimbrell can be anywhere close to his Hall of Fame level self or just elite closer self, if if not his best self. That Rowan Wick can continue to be that high leverage reliever that the Cubs have seen him grow into, that Kyle Ryan can do that same thing. So uh, to me, if we're, you know, on the conversation of the reliever group and just looking at the team as a whole, that's the area where it, 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 maybe it's not all going to be won and lost, Brendan, but that's that's the biggest key for me is 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 this bullpen able mm-hmm. to cobble together the guys that they need to to hold down leads shut down games and you know kind of capitalize on when guys like Kyle Hendricks, Hugh Darvish, John Lester, etc keep you in the games and give you the opportunity to take advantage of what the offense is doing that's going to be the the biggest key can this group shut down games right. and can they win close games and I was a little surprised, well, actually, maybe not given the last week, but I, I did think at the onset of summer camp that someone like Jarrell Cotton would be on this roster just because he has the ability to go multiple innings if the Cubs decide to use him in that multi-inning role. But talking to Jordan and saying that Dwayne Underwood Jr. is being stretched out and James Norwood is being stretched out a little bit to go multiple innings. That, that to me, is a big deal because Norwood is someone who throws 99, 100 miles per hour. So I'm thinking he's gassing out. There's no way this guy can go just you know two, three innings. He's at max maybe a one-inning guy. But if he does go multiple innings, that's something in my mind that I'll be monitoring closely. So Cotton, unfortunately, we saw him get shelled his last outing in summer camp, so maybe it has something to do with it, but I still think at some point we will see uh, Cotton, just because he has that durability. But in terms of like the actual projections for this bullpen, it's you know a little bit middle tier if we look at just like FIP, for example, as, as a readout. There are a lot of guys on this bullpen who have favorable FIP projections. So, for example... Dylan Maples, even with all of the walk issues, he is a projected FIP by Zips in this shortened year of 3.7. Pretty good. Jeremy Jeffress, 3.7. Brad Wick, 3.8. Rowan Wick, 3.9. Craig Kimbrell, 3.7. Should be better. But you're seeing a lot of guys, and I just named up five names, who have the ability in the back of the rotation to perform better than average like that that is a better than league average FIP it's not the type of FIP you want to see for like you know a, a hater for example but those are those are respectable mm-hmm. FIPs and I think too looking at Rowan Wick looking at Craig Kimbrell there's obvious potential to be in that top tier range and some of their projections are reflecting that that's why you're seeing the average end up being around the mid to high threes so I think overall we're going to see a lot of mixing and matching, but I'm expecting more now than I did in the past few weeks to see the multiple inning guys get a lot of work. Seeing Underwood, seeing uh, Norwood, seeing, and we'll see what happens with Alec Mills as a rotation guy, but maybe eventually Mills becomes that, that piggyback guy too, 
given how that fifth rotation ends up working. So overall, like, you know, I get the volatility with the bullpen. There is, however, favorable projections for many of these guys. And I think just from a stuff perspective, I have a little bit of a higher uh, optimistic threshold for them, if you will. Yeah. And I was intrigued by Jordan Bastian talking about how David Ross was really lobbying for Dylan Maples. I I'm not mm-hmm. sure how I feel about that one, man. I I, I mean, like I, yeah, I think it's I, <laughs> it's really easy to see that he's got the stuff. I mean, you you, you I mean, we've known that for three yeah, years. Like he has nasty, nasty stuff. He generates some of the most miserable looking swings of anybody in baseball, right? But man, like you know, you've got that three batter minimum and just the 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 volatility of a sixty game season. I, I don't know. I was a little. I'm, I'm just saying. I was a little surprised to to see him on there because even in these uh, you know scrimmages and exhibition games, you know we've seen some of the same exact command issues we've always seen. And I mean, in that game on Wednesday night yeah. against the Twins, a few wild pitches. I think they called one of them a pass ball, which is just so mean to Wilson Contreras. You can't call pass balls when <laughs> Dylan Maples is out there. Come on. Um, but I was just a little surprised. I, I mean, I love the confidence and I, and I like the way that Jordan framed that and, you know, hoping that letting him be a part of that bullpen and, and really showing that confidence in him helps him mentally believe in himself and, and kind of be able to repeat those mechanics and think of himself more as a major league reliever. Uh, but it's it's a wild ride with Dylan Maples. That, that's, that, that's all I'm saying. So I was at least a little surprised that he... Uh, crack that group yeah and we'll see how flexible these rosters are like these are by no means finalized so if you wanted to see ryan tapera you're, you're gonna see him at some point whether that means maples is the first one off the roster or norwood that's going to be determined relatively quickly but like don't be i guess a little startled that this roster is set in stone because it is malleable it will be changed given how the Cubs perform, not just this week, but in subsequent weeks. And I think we're going to see them use that taxi squad a little bit more flexible than what we've seen them use like Iowa in a regular season. You have a little bit more urgency with David Ross as manager, a little bit more urgency with a 60-game season in general. So this is going to be a revolving door. Don't get too, I guess, engaged with what we have right now because it will change yeah I think that's uh definitely fair let's stay on the pitching uh and let's move to the starters uh I I think that you know you are are pretty clear in what you're expecting from and what we've seen from you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks obviously you giving up the grand slam in the exhibition game against the White Sox uh, but after that looked really good and I think just everything that we've seen from him I think expecting just a massive season from him Kyle Hendricks might look as good as we've ever seen him uh, you know especially kind of tightening up that that curveball and kind of even trying to elevate his game even further uh, so I don't know that there's any revolutionary takes there. I expect big seasons out of both of those guys. I expect both of those guys, if the Cubs have Cy Young candidates, I expect both of them to be in that conversation. And if I'm being completely honest, you know, this isn't uh, rampant homerism, but especially in a 60-game season, I think either of those guys winning the Cy Young would not be a surprise to me. They both have the potential to be the best pitcher in the National League, no question. Um, yeah. But Brendan, what I really want to talk about, and I don't 
don't know if you guys know where this is going. Uh, but what I really want to talk about is how good John Lester looked on Wednesday. Uh, and the reason that I want to focus on that is, again, we, we know what we're expecting out of those top two guys, right? Uh, but John has been you know, more of a question mark, if you will, uh, coming in. And as I keep saying, the I, I, the I need to protect my bullets quote was his, not mine. So uh, I, I'm just trying to frame things in the way that he seems to be looking at things. Uh, but that Minnesota Twins lineup on Wednesday night was no joke. And John looked really, really good. And I think that part of the reason, that was a really good example of why I always say that whatever stuff John has, he's going to figure out a way to be effective. It may not work every time, uh, but even if he's sitting at 91, which he was at mostly on Wednesday, and you know he, he's getting up there in age, whatever, whatever he has, he's going to figure out a way to sequence it, to use those pitches. He used his changeup a lot more uh, than he normally does on Wednesday night. Whatever he has to do, he's going to figure it out. And the the way that you can really tell in a game like that on Wednesday that he had it figured out, no one was really sitting on what he was throwing. He was not even even the outs. There were there were a couple deep fly balls, but they were very high. The hitters were under them. Josh Donaldson hit one of them, and for the rest of them. He was getting a lot of jam shots. He was hitting those corners a lot with those pitches, which is obviously a trademark of his game. And just in observing it, he looked, the the hitters looked to be really struggling and battling to try to figure out what he was throwing and try to square him up. And they were not really succeeding in that. And that's obviously the, the mark of when a pitcher is ahead of the hitter, for example. So I was very encouraged by his start on Wednesday night. I know it's just an exhibition game uh, and things don't really start until, I guess, tonight for a few teams, but on Friday for the Cubs, but that's a, that's a good lineup. And, and he, they, they did not look to be seeing him very well. And obviously the result was very good. He ends up getting charged with some runs, but he left after four and a third without giving up any runs. And I think that's very encouraging. Lester looked great, dude, like better than my expectations for where we are in a season. Like for someone who has an unorthodox ramp up period and with his age, I did not expect Lester to be that sharp. And when I say sharp, I'm talking about that command and that location. If we were to just look at like a heat map of where he threw most of his pitches last night, they were mostly inside to righties. That is something that was noteworthy because it allows us as fans to get an idea of what he is working on in these exhibition games. And Lester over the years has kind of mostly gone back door to right-handed hitters with that cutter. Like you can see it in, in, in your mind right now, that trademark backdoor cutter to go with that curveball to just freeze batters. But against the Twins, for the first two innings, Corey, they were basically all cutters and fastballs inside, especially down and in towards the kneecap of those right-handed mm-hmm. hitters. And he was hitting his spots and he was forcing that weak contact. I know like Josh Donaldson hit a deep fly ball and that's what you're talking about. He got a little jammed, but that jammed deep fly ball, we're talking about a matter of inches. If that is a left over the plate by one inch more central, that's a home run. So to see John really locate 
in that quadrant where he wanted to throw was a big deal at this point in the season. And he averaged 90 miles per hour yesterday, basically within his range from last year. So the velocity is not super down um, compared to at least the last year. It is down from the last two, three years. But if he's going to hang around this 90 mile per hour range, throw the cutter, throw the curveball, mix in the change-ups, and locate and do locate effectively and change based on the scouting reports that we have with like a new infrastructure with Craig Breslow. I don't see a reason to think he's going to be worse than last year. Like last year, he was an above average starting pitcher, right? I don't see him being at least like far below league average. I see him being a league average guy this year. And for what the Cubs need in that middle of the rotation, you couldn't ask for more. Again, this is this John's getting up there in age. There's no denying it. But if he can command his fastball, his cutter, like he did against the Twins, then to me, there's no reason to think he's going to be, you know, going off the cliff here in terms of value. Yeah, I think again, like you, you know, you're trying not to read into too much of one exhibition game, but he was really good, and that's a really tough lineup. It was one of the best lineups in the league in in 2019, and then they added Josh Donaldson, so that was no joke, uh, you know, and especially pitching in a park like Wrigley Field, and and he was really good, and and I think part of the reason to focus on him, uh, aside from my own propensity to focus on him, uh, which you guys know, is having a guy like that with his potential and his pedigree, when you're looking at him in the rotation, he's laid out as the four, but in reality, I, you're looking at him as the three. Uh, over my dead body on this podcast, will we ever expect Tyler Chatwood to be better than John Lester? Uh, but you know, you and Kyle well, you are know. are those guys, like I said, that that should compete for a Cy Young. That that you're looking at as more of kind of the prototypical ace of this rotation at this moment in time. John Lester is your three is is a good place to be, right? Like he was really good, and he he showed, I think, in that game on Wednesday that wherever his stuff is at, like I always say, he's going to be able to figure it out. Some days it's not going to work, you know, and, and this is similar to even someone like Kyle Hendricks. When when you're working with a particular type of stuff, if, if you're not precise and you make those mistakes, it, it sometimes gets killed, you know, and we've seen that before. And it, the mistakes happen and they're going to happen. But I, I think that John showed on Wednesday that he's he's got it in him to work with what he's got. Uh, and I think it's just a question of health. And this is something, again, that John and David Ross have been talking about. Uh, so that's that's kind of why we're focusing on it. This is a this is a tough a tough situation for guys that have been doing this for a long time and who are, you know, getting up there in, in how many innings they've thrown on, on that arm and, and how, how long they've been kind of preparing their body to do this. Ramping yourself up for a regular spring training in a 162-game season, you know, starting in, in December, January, and then leading into spring training in February and March, then having to shut it down, stay in that kind of shape without knowing when you were really going to get back out there, and then having to ramp it all up again. It's a tough spot. Uh, you know, for for someone like John, so really encouraged by uh, that outing on Wednesday. He was really, really good. Um, so, I think if that is is any, even if he can give you that kind of an outing in, you know, I don't know, seventy percent of the starts, like that's that's really good. That'll be a lot of games that the Cubs are in a position to win, and that John will uh, definitely be contributing very strongly to. So. Want to look at the offense a little bit now. I, I don't think any surprises. I mean, maybe Josh Fegley 
making the roster wasn't a, a sure thing, but we've heard David Ross and and the front office talk a lot about the ability to carry three catchers, especially when you may be looking to move Victor Caratini around or have him DH uh, at times. But otherwise, this is, I, I think, pretty much exactly what we expected. Obviously, we weren't sure about Ian Miller, and we weren't sure what they were going to do with Descalcio, but those issues uh, sorting themselves out on Thursday. And I thought it was interesting from Jordan that he, you know, and I kind of put him on the spot there, but I thought it was interesting that he dialed in on Nico as being that guy. You know, if if you could know one thing went really well, you know, how would that make you feel about kind of the broader picture? I, I think it was interesting that he picked Nico. Um, my answer to that question, just for what it's worth, would be Victor Caratini. I think if you told me right now that Victor killed it and that David Ross on a daily basis is kind of thinking about how do I keep this guy in the lineup at one position or another. I think that that bodes really well for this offensive group. Um, but what what would your answer to that question have been, Brennan? Mm, I mean, I would focus on that second base position. Um, I would go with Nico or Ian Happ. I, I, I think those two interchangeably will have the same effect. One of them stepping up and taking more of a of a dominant role, either a second base or center field would be huge for this team. But, like, I think at least seeing Descalso off the roster, you know, on that injured list, gave me some confidence that Nico is going to get more of that playing time. That, that was one of my concerns. When we had Jason Kipnis and Descalso on the same team, we don't know how Ross is going to manage, but there was a side to me that thought there, you know, maybe we could, we could see Descalso and Kipnis get more playing time than we would have been comfortable with. But we're seeing Ross, like, put the foot down on the pedal right away. There's no doubt in my mind that Nico deserves this opportunity and he needs to play in time too. That's one thing we don't consider is that Nico hasn't had a traditional development period. He was injured in, uh, in 2019 with that hand injury. He gets called up right away once Javi Baez goes down, bypasses AAA, and he gets thrusted right into the heat of a pennant race at that time. So, Nico needs the playing time. He needs the exposure, and he would not have gotten it had you know Delscasso made the team and they put Nico on that taxi squad. So I'm I'm encouraged by it. But if we look at just like the top down projections, just from from weighted on base average, and it speaks volume to why I'm like centered in on Ian Happ. When we look at the rankings, we have Rizzo number one with a 374 WOBA, Bryant follows Rizzo at 365. It's going to be higher, by the way, but it's at 365. Schwarber, 353. Contreras, 338. Also going to be higher. Then you have Javi at 337. Also going to be higher. But then there's Ian Happ. There's Ian Happ, who by zips is projected for a 335 Woba. Basically, the computers here think that Ian Happ and Javi Baez have the same offensive value. And it's not to knock like Javi Baez over here. These are above league average numbers, but it points to what Ian Happ has done over his career. And he's done two things that are motivating the computers to give them this quality score. The first is the plate discipline. In 2018, Ian Happ actually wished Schwarber were among the top walk to home run guys in their age bracket. Hap, during that 2018 year, only swung at a ball once for every four pitches. That's a huge deal for someone who needs plate discipline. And what did Hap do from 2018 to 2019? He did get more aggressive, but he made more contact 
in that aggression. His contact rate shot up almost 12%. Big deal. So Ross, knowing that Hap has these traits, he batted a leadoff. Hap batted a leadoff against the Twins when KB was out with the back tightness. That really piqued my interest because not only are we as fans recognizing what Hap could be at his peak potential, but Ross and the Cubs, of course they understand that too, and they followed suit by putting him in that leadoff position. So that's that's where I'm centered in, is what can Ian Hap give you value-wise, not even defensively, but purely from an offensive point of view? And there is reason to believe, based on visual, based on math, that Hap is going to be a serious contributor this year. And whether it is Nico who takes that next step or Hap, just one of them doing so is going to have a dramatic impact on this offense. Yeah, so one thing I, I just wanted to note on the Wednesday night game, I, I mean, I know it was just an exhibition game, but was have you ever been more pumped up than when Anthony Rizzo hit that home run coming back from, from the oh back God, stuff? Dude. He hit the hell out of that. I, at first yeah. at bat, back in the too. lineup after all this back stuff, and just launches a home run. A, a very typical-looking Anthony Rizzo, Wrigley Field home run. The, the Cubs social media team got a good photo of him, like, watching it go. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, And also really, I know we covered this back, you know, like when it, when the pictures came out and all this other stuff. I mean, he's svelte, Brendan. Dude, he looks fantastic, fantastic Corey. He's got a great tan. He's, he has great hair going right now. Um, he's he's at peak Rizzo. Yeah, right I, I do want to. I do want to note that the official stance of the Cubs related podcast is very <laughs> pro Anthony Rizzo's curly long hair. Yes. very pro. Yeah, um, no doubt about. Just want to make sure that everybody's clear on that. But to the larger point of the offense, I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how a sixty game season plays out because even for the best hitters, if you looked at their work worst 60 game span, you know, maybe Mike Trout in his worst 60 games is still likely very, very good and and better than everybody else. But it's not going to look like typical Mike Trout numbers over the course of a full season. That's what makes great players great is that they're able to maintain that level for a very long time. So you never know how some of this stuff is going to ebb and flow and and what 60 game sample you might get out of some of these guys, right? Um, But I and I and I really believe this. Like I think that when you look at the Cubs top five, and and when I'm looking at that, I'm talking about Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Contreras, and Kyle Schwarber. I, I really genuinely believe that that group can compete with pretty much anybody. Is it the best top five in the league? Probably not. Uh, t- National League. But it's really good, and it it really represents the opportunity, if those guys are healthy, to be a very, very formidable top portion of the lineup. You're talking about really a a group of guys that could end up being in in the top tier of hitters in the National League. And everything that we've seen from Wilson Contreras in summer camp and these exhibition games, these scrimmages, suggests that he is ready to go. We have seen his potential in, in bursts. Sometimes he's been derailed by injuries. Uh, you know, you had that that Chili Davis season where he was just a mess toward the end of the year. Uh, but he's shown that potential that he can be an absolute offensive force. And he looks dialed in right now to live up to every expectation of him as a hitter. 
And if Kyle Schwarber is where he was in the second half of 2019, I mean, we we make this comparison all the time, but he was putting up better numbers than Castellanos did, right? And we know the the, the fanfare around Castellanos, and this isn't an argument that it was okay to not re-sign him. But it's just an argument that like Kyle Schwarber was really, really good, and he has the potential to be a really good hitter. Uh, so I think when you look at that top five, that's obviously where your confidence is going to come from. If that group is healthy and able to be on the field for this team, and as many of the sixty games as you know David Ross and the the front office have them out there for, I I think that that's going to bode really well. It's a very strong top portion of the group. And, you know, as we've discussed pretty repeatedly, I I think the key is which of those guys are going to step up and fill those roles. I think the Cubs have ample options to do that. I think if you're bringing in Jason Hayward primarily against righties to, you know, be the hitter that he has been against righties, platooning him with someone like Steven Souza when there's a a tough lefty on the mound, uh, using Jason Hayward's defense, deploying guys like Victor Caratini as the backup catcher, maybe spelling Anthony Rizzo a couple times at first base, DHing a little bit. And as we've discussed, Nico, Bodie, Ian Happ, Albert Almora, I think they have ample options to fill in those lineups around that top five, which I believe is very, very strong. Um, it's it's really just going to be a, a bit of a challenge for David Ross. And, you know, Jordan Bash was kind of talking about this in relation to the bullpen. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge. It, it's a short it's a short season. Um, I know we keep dialing in on that point, but I'm, I'm trying to drill that into everybody. This is a weird season. 60 games is not a lot compared to what we're used to. Uh, so it's going to be hard to figure out, okay, who has the hot hand? How long do I give a guy, you know, say like Jason Kipnis or Nico Horner, like how long do you give them if they look really good or really bad? You know, how long are we talking? Like, how long is the leash? You know, normally in a 162 game season, you'd be like, you know, send them out there for a while. Like, it'll either stabilize or we'll kind of have a good idea. And we're not going to throw away a, a huge chunk of the season trying to figure it out not so much the case here. So that's going to be a big challenge for for David Ross and, you know, trying to figure out who's getting those at-bats in the DH spot and, and when you want to get guys rest. So those are the keys. We talked about, I think, kind of the keys in, in, in the pitching staff and the bullpen. And I think on offense, that's, that's obviously what it is. Who gets that playing time? Who's able to step up and kind of demand that playing time from David Ross and the coaching staff? And how does the coaching staff respond if things maybe aren't going as you envision them for certain players. You know, how quickly do they make uh, those types of changes and 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 look at that? But I, I think overall, I'm I'm optimistic on this this offensive group. If if for nothing else, then that top five is really really strong. And I and I think it's it's yeah. been. You know, we've known that Chris Bryant was going to be the leadoff hitter since dating back to the Cubs were in Mesa, but it, it remains very encouraging to me, uh, you know, especially for the years that we've been kind of trying to solve the leadoff spot since Dexter Fowler left. It's just been very encouraging to me that in all these games, the Cubs send up their best five hitters basically to start the game. And I think that's what they should be doing. And that gives me a lot of hope that it's just like, look, these five hitters are really good and they're going to get the most at bats and they're going to drive the offense. And I feel very confident in in that group to do so. So going into 2019, we had two staples in the lineup that we we had a few questions about. Those two guys were Rizzo and Chris Bryant. 
Contreras was coming off a 2018 year where, where he finished with a weighted on base average of 321, a WRC plus of 100. Respectable, but not at all what he ended up producing in 2019 with a 127 WRC plus and a 368 weighted on base average. He hit the hell out of the ball in 2019, like he did in 2017. Also, in that year, we saw Schwarber adjust to a level that looked stable. He had a lot of stable metrics after his adjustment in July and August in terms of contact rate, in terms of just play discipline, everything stabilized that suggests that what we saw from Schwarber in the second half, at least a portion of it is likely to carry over. He may not be that top five overall hitter, but he's going to be the top 15% of overall offense in the league. No doubt in my mind about that. So Contreras and Schwarber, they developed last year. And towards the end of 2019, what happened? Ian Happ finally adjusted, and I don't want to say like finally in a bad way, to his credit, he made some really difficult adjustments and he started to make more contact, as I said previously. So we had Hap, we had Schwarber, we had Contreras all grow and evolve to the point that when we're looking at 2020, at least for Contreras and Schwarber, they're in our top five, no questions asked, and we're confident they're going to produce. And Ian Happ, his ceiling, as we know, is monstrous, in my opinion. It is, it's monstrous. When you have someone at that age with the athleticism, with that power potential, with the plate discipline potential, and the capacity to adjust what she's shown, that signals he could be the next Schwarber or Contreras that we saw in 2019. So that's that. That is what's giving me confidence going into this year. Is we have now a more dynamic top of the lineup where we not only can slot in Chris Bryant and Rizzo and even Javi in that top three, but now we can include Contreras confidently. Now we can include Schwarber confidently, and we have guys lurking behind those top five with Ian Happ with Nico Horner, David Bodie, and the list goes on. Even Jason Hayward, right? So that's that's the staple of this team. If there's anything that's going to give me confidence about this year, it's going to be exactly that core. It's going to be that top five of the order because for the first time, I think, in our like fandom following this core, those top five guys have never clicked all mm-hmm. at once. And I think finally, Corey... They're going to click at once. Chris Bryant's going to be healthy. Contreras is going to be healthy, rested because you have three catchers. And you're going to have Ian Happ making these adjustments. You're going to have everyone, I think, unless something dramatic happens in a bad way, finally, these guys clicking at once. I knocked on wood. Don't worry, guys. We're all we're all set. Um, <laughs> it's not but, my fault. It doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm confident in this group. I think that, you know, it, it's it's been a a sort of weird track over the last couple of years. And I think being disappointed in how seasons have ended, disappointed in how they've gone about addressing things in the off season, you know, and, and just different things. Um, but I, I, I really believe that this is a strong group. I believe that this is a group that is well-suited, well-structured uh, for a 60-game season. And, you know, I think, look, like in, in a short season, you're going to have an expanded playoffs. It's going to be wacky. There, there's absolutely no reason that the Cubs don't have the talent to compete and compete at the highest level for, for anything that's going on in this season. Um, you know, we can debate 
again, like how they've gone about the off seasons and, and moves we would have rather seen them make. And, and certainly is this roster as, as strong as it could be, is as strong as it should be, you know, given like the Cubs monetary situation and all that other stuff, you know, no, probably not, but it's a strong group. And I, and I, and I really genuinely believe that they can compete in a year like this. And, and, and I think again, like you're saying, Brendan, like it, it's so driven by if those main contributors, uh, those top level contributors can be healthy and clicking at the same time. I, I mean, I'm telling you like, you know, especially you get into short playoff series, if the playoff series are, you know, a one game wild card or a three game first round, whatever they're looking at, like you, you have, you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, and, and those top level hitters, they can beat anybody right? Like, are they a better roster than the Yankees? No, I don't believe that, right? But can they beat them in a short series? Definitely, right? So it's, it's all about just staying healthy and, and seeing if finally this, this group can kind of come together um, and play at that high level all at once for, for a short sprint here. But I think, you know, this has been, uh, this is a, a longer episode than necessarily normal. So we'll, we'll start to, to wrap it up here, but just in a, in a general sense, Brendan, what are you expecting, uh, come Friday night against the Milwaukee Brewers, Kyle Hendricks and Brandon Woodruff kicking things off, uh, for a a strange season? Like what do you, what, how do you, how are you seeing this? How are you seeing this playing out? How are you going about viewing things as a fan. I mean, I think the the listeners of this show know the type of fan we are, how we react to things and things like that. Has any of has any of your perspective changed because of everything that's gone on here? Like just give us the mindset come tomorrow night. Uh, you know, nothing over summer camp has shifted my thinking to be honest with you. I thought going into summer camp the bullpen uh, was the biggest priority to see how it would settle out and there are a few surprises. I mean, again, seeing Maples is probably the biggest surprise, followed by Norwood and Brothers, but I'm feeling the same way as I did back in March. I think what we have is a wide range of possibilities. But the cool thing about this season, the 60-game season, is that we know the Cubs, if they get hot, can go on these monster tears. And so right now, the Cubs are projected to win the NL Central, by just one game. Outside of Pittsburgh, all the other teams in the Central are separated by one game. And so that speaks volume to what the division as a whole comprises of. And they all have a lot of possibilities and they all have a lot of holes in this division. But for the Cubs, we look at the projections and even with Zips giving Chris Bryant a 365 Woba or giving Javi Baez a 337 Woba and Contreras around a 340 we know those are low end of what could happen for all those guys. We know Chris Bryant, when he's healthy, is a top five hitter in the league, top five overall player in the league. We know when Contreras is not hurting his hamstring and working with Chili Davis, he's the best hitting catcher in the league with the best arm in the league, right? And we see Javi Baez, when he's healthy and not breaking his thumb, He's one of the best hitting shortstops in the league. But Zips is rating those three guys on the lower end of the offensive value projection because in years past, they've had extremes. They had they had extremes with Contreras in 2018. They had extremes with Javi in 2015 and 2016, right? So those are going to weigh down the projections. And as a result, they're going to weigh down the win probability for this Cubs team. So if you take in your mind and if you weight the more previous seasons and even more recently like Schwarber's second half 
then the range of possibilities for, for wins in, in my eyes are greater. I don't think they're just going to be 32 and 28. I think if they click and the top five performs how we expect them to perform, I think 35 wins actually is realistic and somewhere in that like middle tier of their overall projections. And I think if everything clicks in the bullpen, of course, you have Tapera coming back whenever he comes back and you team him up with Wick, with Week, with Kimbrell, with Kyle Ryan, and maybe Underwood and, and Norwood come into their own. Then we're talking about one of the best teams in the league, not just in the NL Central or in, or in the NL alone. We're talking about one of the best teams in the league. We just need... In, for, for me, in my confidence, we need the fourth and fifth rotation spot to become a little bit more crystallized, and we need the back end of the bullpen. Just one or two guys, even despite that potential, just to lock in some consistency, whether that is from Rowan Wick or from Craig Campbell or from Brad Week. We need some consistency to at least give a little bit more projectability in in uh, in the bullpen from you know here on out in August through September. But overall, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited. Again, it is opening day, so I'm going to be biased, but there's a lot to like about this team. Not saying they're the best team and you know for sure going to win the division, but with that, you know the potential is so high. Yeah. If you've been listening to this show for any number of years, especially since the beginning, you know that despite how insane Brendan and I can seem, and despite how much we can harp on the littlest thing that concerns us as it relates to the success or failure of the Chicago Cubs, when it comes to opening day, we are always exceedingly (laughs) optimistic for whatever reason. I think that's just the Cubs fan in us, right? Uh, Hope springs eternal, and that is how it goes on this podcast. Um, I like really, I was half expecting you to say, I think they're going to win 45 games or something like that, right? Like just something crazy. (laughs) Um, Because I mean, usually when we do this podcast, we're like, I could see them winning 100 games easily, right? Um, I mean, 30, 35 and whatever it is, 35 and 25 is respectable. So I mean, I'm in the same boat. And, And really like what it comes down to, and I look at kind of the way that you and I talked a lot about the 2019 season and what was happening and how that kind of fell apart at the end. I think you and I talked a lot about how they were better than that. And I believed that then, and I believe that now. They are a better team than Milwaukee. They are a better team than St. Louis. Cincinnati's a little weird. I mean, they're kind of a new ragtag group that they've assembled, so it's a little harder to to say, but I, I, I believe that the Cubs are better than them. And I believe that they are better than the way that they completely fell apart in the 2019 season. A lot of that was due to injuries and stuff, um, bad bullpen stuff, but they're just better than that. They, they were better than letting a Mike Schlitt-led Cardinals team win the division. I, I Again, I believed that then, and I firmly believe that now. They're just a better group. They have better players, and they should be better than that. And I think that one thing that we've talked about since David Ross took over and and just based on what we've seen in Mesa and over here in Chicago at summer camp, I think David Ross has this team in a different place than Joe Madden did. We're not going to relitigate that. We've talked about the the transition and and the the meaningfulness of it all and yada yada right joe madden's a chicago cubs legend you're not going to hear us talk about otherwise right okay but i think that this team they are better this group 
is better and should be better than being one of the worst base running teams in the league. They are better and should be better than being one of the worst defensive teams in the league. We should not be talking like we did in 2019 about how frequently this team is making mistakes and screwing up rundowns and throwing to the wrong base, right? Some of this is is just the trash can that's, you know, not on the team anymore. But um, they're better than that. They're, they're better at leading the league and outs on the bases. The Chicago Cubs, that, that just shouldn't be a thing. They're, they're better baseball players than this. They're better base runners than this. And we are not far removed enough, even for certain parts of the roster, from a team that was excelling in some of these areas en route to winning a World Series. A lot of the players are different, but a lot of the players are the same. So this group is just better than this. They, they hold themselves to a higher standard than what we saw in the better part of 2019. And I firmly believe that they are going to be better than they were last year. And I, you know, again, like maybe it's just Cubs fan optimism, but this group is, this group is very strong. The the top level talent on this team can compete with anybody else's. Uh, It's obviously going to be a test in the rotation, on offense, and in the bullpen how that depth comes in. And when you look at, you know, a a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees, those questions aren't as plentiful when you talk about depth. And that's why they're looked at as, you know, uh, proverbial favorites to, you know, finish in first and uh, make the playoffs and win the World Series, whatever. Uh, But this this Cubs group has the top-level talent to compete with anybody. I firmly believe that. And I think that especially in a 60-game season, everybody's starting healthy and they're all going to be out there. I, I think they're going to prove it. And and I, I I look at quotes, you know, like we mentioned on the last episode from Anthony Rizzo, where he said that, you know, David Ross demands and expects perfection. And that is what we are trying to give to him for all the talk about what it was going to be like for David Ross to manage a group that he played with and stuff like that, guys that he's still close with. The the main sentiment that seems to be coming from all of these guys when we hear about it is that they respect David Ross so much and who he is as a person, who he was as a player, and who he now is as a coach, that they want to be the players he believes they are and, and deliver the performances that he's expecting of them and I expect them to do it. So that's where I am. I don't have a specific number of wins for you. I don't know. 60 games is weird. So many games against the same teams. I have no idea. I think this team wins the division. I think this team is good, and I think the stars of this team really drive things, and I think they they, they carry the burden, and I think this is a, a successful season for the Cubs. Um, however you want to phrase that, I, you know, I'm it's they just expanded the playoffs today on Thursday. So it's, it's hard for me to offer up. Like, I think they're going to win, you know, the divisions here. I I don't know. Right. Like, let's just take it day by day, but I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be a competitive group. I think they're going to be the better team on the field, uh, for the majority of these games. And I think that there, I think that there are a lot of guys in this, in this clubhouse and on this team that are not pleased with how, uh, 2019 went and even going back to 2018 even though they won 95 games like I I think that they're they're intent to prove some people wrong and I think they're intent to 
rewrite some things that that we've seen uh, from this team in the in the, in the last couple of years. So that's that's my sentiment. I, I think it's going to be successful. I think this group is going to do well, and I you can put Brendan and I both down for them winning the division. I think they win the NL Central, and we'll we'll take it from there. But. I, I think that is where we will leave you, Brendan. Uh, any any final words uh, as we we get ready to uh, get ready to go here? We did it. We we got through the off season, Corey, with like no action. We got through a global pandemic, and uh, honestly, the the lasting sentiment I have is just like thank you to all you guys listening. I mean, it was. It was a challenge at times, Corey, like recording, not just like finding content. We can talk about content, but like the, the, and you know, this is a podcast, so it's not reality, but it, it is challenging to like find a way to talk about baseball when it seems like the world is collapsing. So in a weird way, like doing this podcast and having an audience, you guys like continue to tune in has helped, at least I can speak for myself, have helped me like mentally get through this process. So that, that's what it is. Like, thank you. And I hope that we get through this season, we can continue to enjoy and uh, this team continues to stay safe and the rest of the league continues to stay safe. But we got to this point. I'm a little surprised we got to this point, but I'm going to enjoy it as long as I can. Yeah, I think that's I think that's well said. It, it's going to be weird. Um, it was weird listening to Pat Hughes over these exhibition games kind of describe Wrigley Field, but without the fans and, you know, just talk about the situation going on in the country and the world. Uh, But I echo Brendan's sentiment, and I said this on the last episode, we're very grateful, um, you know, for you guys listening to this podcast throughout this whole process when we've had nothing, you know, tangible to talk about. Um, And for those of you that are just rejoining us now that there's uh, actual baseball, we appreciate you guys, you know, coming back and and remembering to find us and uh, supporting us throughout this. As we've said before, uh, throughout this process, we will record twice a week. Uh, you know, obviously more if something happens, but, you know, and I, Craig Kimbrell signing last, you know, that was in the middle of a series last year. So we do emergency podcasts if we have to, but otherwise twice a week before and after every series. So for example, the Cubs finish with the Brewers on Sunday. So we will record on Sunday. You'll hear that uh, late Sunday night and on Monday morning, we will uh, review what happened in the opening series, talk about the important issues, and then look ahead to their series with the Reds. And that is the format that we will follow. And I will say, we stick to that schedule. Sometimes you may end up with just one of us. Sometimes you may end up with somebody subbing for one of us. Uh, Evan Altman from CubsInsider.com is usually kind enough to fill that role, Uh, but we don't waver on that schedule. So if the Cubs finish a series on Sunday, somebody on the Cubs-related podcast channel will be speaking to you the next day. We don't ever put those off uh, or come to you in the middle of a series. It's just, I think, much more beneficial for the conversation to center it around one series and and how they played and the the key storylines from that series. So that is and how we, and we rarely miss an episode too. Like most, like ninety five percent of the time, probably more. You're going to hear both Corey and me on the episode the next day yeah. after the series. So 
Yeah. So uh, either way, you will hear from us. Uh, so that is kind of the the format of this podcast. Again, like I was saying, thank you guys for sticking with us, and uh, for those of you you know coming back now that there's actual baseball to discuss. Thank you for that. Um, and as I've said throughout this whole process, uh, you know we're not done with the pandemic going on in the country and and, and everything surrounding that. Uh, so as we've gone through this process, I've said this a lot, and you know now that we're back in baseball, it, it still holds true. Hope you guys are hanging in there. Hope that everything with your your health, the health of your family, your friends, uh, your coworkers, everything with your job is okay. And you know maybe that's the best that we can hope for. But um, you know you guys have supported us just by listening to this podcast uh, for a long time, interacting with us on social media. Uh, and, you know, we want you guys to be in a good place. So I sincerely hope that that is where the beginning of the baseball season uh, finds you. And, you know, if it's not, uh, you can reach out to us. And if there's, you know, anything we can do, even if it's just chatting about baseball to, you know, lift spirits or whatever it is, you know, uh, you guys support us and and we're here to support you. So thank you for that support. Uh, The regular season is here. The, the Cubs and the Brewers playing on Friday night at Wrigley Field. And I think that hopefully with whatever else is going on in your life, um, I know that the Chicago Cubs fill a very significant void in mine. Um, so I hope that you are able to enjoy the season. Obviously, for a lot of us, that kind of depends on how the season goes, uh, you know, so it's it's a little easier said than done. Um, but, you know, this is, I, I say this all the time, but watching the Cubs play baseball, um, you know, there are a lot of people that don't understand what it's like to be a Cubs fan or just to be a diehard sports fan. And watching the Cubs is genuinely my favorite thing in the world to do. Uh, it is when I'm at my happiest. Uh, it's when I feel the most normal. It's when I feel the most comfortable. And I am very, very glad to have that back. Um, you can contact me about that sentiment again on Friday if Almora's <laughs> like in the starting lineup or something like that. No, I'm kidding. But I, 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 I'm really glad that they're they're playing baseball. I, I sincerely hope that all these teams and all these players and all these employees are able to carry this all out safely and, and maintain their health and, and everything with everything that is going on. Um, but I, I am really glad that the Chicago Cubs will be playing baseball, and I'm going to try my best to enjoy it for what it is. It's a wacky season. You know, we keep saying that um, expectations and and standards and projections and all that. We'll see how that all plays out. It, it's it's going to be a sprint. It's going to be unique. It's going to be weird, and hopefully, it will be fun. But more than anything, I, I'm very very glad uh, that we will be able to come together virtually on social media, however we're able to do it, uh, and do what we all love to do and and do what is one of our favorite things in the world. And that is watch the Chicago Cubs play baseball and come together as one larger family and root on the Chicago Cubs and, and, and try to, in so much as we can from a distance, will them to victory and success. So again, thank you for sticking with us throughout this very unique off season and multiple spring trainings and, and, and things like that. We really appreciate your guys' support. We will be here for you before and after every series the Cubs play twice a week. And let's do it, folks. Uh, it's, it's, it's time to strap it on. It's time to do the thing. So we are ready to watch David Ross and the boys 
go out there, represent the Chicago Cubs, represent us, and cheer them on. So that is what we have to say to to kind of lead things off. Uh, and we always end by saying the same thing. But as we are on the you know the the cusp of opening night at Wrigley Field, we say it with a little more vigor than we normally do. Go Cubs! If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today.